Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. At the end of the day, they really just care about themselves. I mean, they may sit there and tell you they love you or they care about you, if it's a business partner, even as a family member, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's almost like somebody who is in full-on survival mode all the time or almost like somebody who has like a really bad toothache or they're really in pain or something. They may want to care about you, but they just, they can't. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Now, you've heard the term narcissist thrown around quite a bit. And are you wondering, are you a narcissist? Some people actually say, what's the difference between being a narcissist and just having self-care and taking care of yourself? I mean, you're supposed to be taking care of yourself, right? You're supposed to be loving yourself. So if you do that, does that make you a narcissist? Okay, so all of those questions are going to be answered right here in this video. So the first sign that you might be a narcissist is that you're a terrible listener. You, you only want to hear anything about yourself. You don't want to hear anything about anyone else. In fact, even if you ask somebody something about themselves or ask them to tell, them, uh, tell you a story or ask them what's going on, halfway through them telling you, you find yourself, your mind is drifting. You really don't care what their answer is. You really don't care what they have to say. And you either have to force yourself to pretend like you care and pretend like you're paying attention, or maybe you just look the other way. Maybe you just start looking at your phone. Maybe you even just walk away when they're mid-sentence. If you're having a conversation with someone that is important to you, maybe it's a spouse or a, a significant other, and you want to talk about something that is a, a big decision or something that you're supposed to be making a, a choice about together, do you really care about what the other person's input is? Do you really care what they want to do? Do you really care uh, what their concerns are? Do you find yourself wanting to dismiss what they have to say? Do you find yourself negating what they have to say? Do you find yourself judging everything that they have to say? Do you find yourself thinking that everything they have to say is invalid? Maybe you just ignore everything they have to say. Or maybe you find yourself, you know, the whole time they're, they're speaking, getting ready to just jump in to explain what you have to say without even really even listening to what their points are. Or maybe the whole time they're talking, you're just thinking that you want to insert the word but so that you can get back to what your thoughts are and, and, and what you've already decided is the best way to go. Sign number two is that sorry is really the hardest word, that you just have a really hard time apologizing, or maybe you have a really hard time taking responsibility for your actions. You just don't want to apologize. Maybe you just don't ever think that you're wrong. Maybe, you know, you're just always looking for 
the scapegoat. You're thinking it's always somebody else's fault that something happened. Um, you know, even if you screwed up at work, if there was some other reason for it. Somebody else didn't do what they were supposed to do, or you're just always looking for a way to deflect it off of you. Even if you do know that you were the one that was wrong, you're just looking for a way to deflect it off of you. Um, maybe you're deflecting it back onto the person that you did something to, you know, by blaming them. You know, let's say even if you cheated on that person, you 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 can't say you're sorry. You can't find it in your heart to apologize. Maybe you just or you you push it back onto the other person, and you say, "Well, it was your fault that I cheated because of whatever reason." So number two is sorry seems to be the hardest word. You have a very hard time apologizing or taking responsibility for your actions, or. If you do apologize, you know that you're only apologizing or you're only in your mind apologizing because it will manipulate the other person and get the other person to do what you want them to do or act the way you want them to or come back to giving you the adulation and treating you with the value that you think that you should be treated. So sometimes you apologize, but it's highly manipulative and not because you actually feel sorry or any sense of remorse. Number three is, do you struggle to feel the emotions of others? Do you struggle to feel the needs of other people? Do you feel like you know, you see them, but you really don't understand them. You're not, you know, what their needs are and what their emotions are really doesn't register with you. Do you find that you're, you're watching them be upset, but it doesn't, you know, either you're um, annoyed by it or um, even angered by it because it's taking attention away from you um, and you just really can't put yourself in their um, shoes and feel their emotions. You can't feel their sadness. Maybe, maybe when somebody's upset over the death of someone, you you know that you're supposed to say that um, you're sorry and you're sending prayers or you're sending hugs or something, but you actually don't really feel anything for those people, or you don't really necessarily feel their pain. Um, the only really pain that you you feel on a normal basis is your own. And you're, you're just filtering everything through, what can I get out of this? What's the best thing for me? How do I get attention out of this? How can I get adulation from this? Rather than looking to see how can I serve the needs of others or help others or feel others' pain um, or, or actually feel their sadness. If you just can't, as much as you, you know that in the back of your mind that other people must feel that thing for other people, you just don't feel that. And the next one is that you require constant admiration from others. So if you feel that you constantly need other people to think that you're amazing, think that you're wonderful, and if, if they don't think that you're the smartest person in the room or they don't see that you're special, that you're valuable, you actually feel angered by that. You actually resent them for that. Um, and you, you feel like if they're not for you, then they must be 
against you. And so you feel like you have to retaliate against them for being against you. You have to show the world that this person has no value because they don't see the value in you. You take things very, very personally. You're extremely sensitive. Um, even if somebody disagrees with your opinion at a dinner table, you know, maybe, maybe they disagree with your politics, then suddenly that person, there must be something seriously wrong with them and they have to be um, judged and they have to be devalued and debased and destroyed, maybe even destroyed um, because they didn't see how amazing you were. They don't, they don't understand how intelligent you are. They don't think that your opinion is the most important one. And because of that, then they have to, they, they must be against you. And so if you feel that way, then you might also be a narcissist. Another sign that you might be a narcissist is that you exaggerate your own talents or your accomplishments. So, you know, maybe you li- you've lied um, or you've cheated to get where you are. Maybe you've lied about what kind of job experience you have. Maybe you've lied about the people that you've dated or the types of people that you've worked with or the types of clients that you've had. Or maybe you're lying about... Um, the, the amount of money that you have, um, you know, you are exaggerating your talents. You're exaggerating your accomplishments. You're exaggerating um, the things that you've done because you want people to think that you're incredible. But you know that deep down inside, it's a lie. You know that deep down inside, that it's not true. But you have this kind of cover up of the world because it's really, really important to you that everybody thinks that you're the most talented, the most beautiful, the most rich, or the most successful, um, and that you're getting lots of attention for that. If this describes you, then you may also be a narcissist. So those are just some of the signs of being a narcissist. If you have some or most of these signs, then hate to tell you, but you may be a narcissist. You're going to know four things that narcissists actually care about. Yeah, there's actually four. I'm going to give you the number one thing that narcissists actually care about at the end. We're going to go from number four to number one. Yeah, there's actually four things that they actually care about. They're all wrapped up in narcissistic supply. Supply is anything that feeds their ego. So supply is the really kind of the the one thing that they're all kind of after, and that's you know their their food, their lifeblood, their oxygen. They're like kind of going after that one thing all the time. They crave that in order to feel good about themselves. It's like that external thing. There's almost like a black hole inside of them that can never be filled and you you might want to fill it for them and they they want you to fill it too and so what happens is you're left feeling totally and utterly depleted yet they're still starving in a lot of ways so but there's different forms of narcissistic supply all right and that's what I'm going to go over here So we're going to go from number four all the way up to number one. All right. So number four is really themselves. At the end of the day, they really just care about themselves. I mean, they may sit there and tell you they love you or they care about you. If it's a business partner, even as a family member, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's almost like somebody who 
is in full on survival mode all the time or almost like somebody who has like a really bad toothache or they're really in pain or something. They may want to care about you, but they just they can't because all they can do is see their own pain or feel their own thing that's going on. I mean, they just can't right now. That's why they really just don't have empathy or care for somebody else because they just can't at that moment. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to Shopify dot com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash best life. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So number one is they just only care about themselves. Number two, or if we're working our way backwards, number four, and we're going to number three, is their stuff, their possessions, their things, which by the way, you are one of. You are a possession. So they care about you in the sense that you are a possession to them. You're just like almost like a jar on a shelf. And, you know, they want to kind of take you down and use whatever supply they can get out of you if they still can. That's why they kind of move on to a better form if, you know, there's not much left that they can get out of you. Or they pick the bones off the carcass or the meat off the bones. And if there's nothing left, they go to get another source. Possessions is number two, that their stuff, their things, you know, don't touch my things and thing, you know, I mean, they hoard things, they hoard whatever they can, they hoard money. And I have a whole video on why narcissists hoard money. Definitely check that out. But they hoard things, you know, they're very scarcity minded. They have a very scarcity mentality, not an abundance mentality at all. Number three or number two, if we're working our way backwards, four, three, two, we're working our way up to number one, is power. 
Power is something that they actually care about very much so. Control, power, their kingdom, you know, especially the ones that are very successful. They have big kingdoms and they will protect their little kingdoms and they don't really go out of their realm of their kingdom that often because they want to stick within the kingdom that they have built. And they, you know, that's why they're so driven to success to have and create kingdoms because they want to make sure that they create a kingdom that they can control. So having power, having that control, having that control over people. And, you know, they, they, degrade people, they debase people, they do that sort of thing, they diminish people, you know, in order to maintain that power, to maintain that control. So that's number two, if we're working our way up to number one, which we are. And, you know, it is so time for you to slay. You know, slay is is the name of my program, Strategy, Leverage, Anticipate, Focus on You, and it is time for you to slay. We are working our way up to number one, the number one thing that narcissists actually care about, their image, how they look. That's everything to them. They will protect and defend that at any cost, any cost. That's the only thing they really, really care about how they look, how they look to the world, how they look to their new form of supply, how they look to the best form of supply, how they look to people that they respect. Image is absolutely everything to a narcissist. Everything. They're literally obsessed with their image. You know, having the right friends, the best houses, the best cars, most prestigious jobs, all of that sort of thing is absolutely the most important thing to a narcissist image, number one. So let's talk about narcissists and their seven deadly sins. One of the things that you should know is that narcissism is a legit personality disorder and it causes people to have no sense of inner value zero sense of inner value. They have to get all of their value from the external. And it causes them to have a complete lack of empathy or care for anyone else. There's just something that's broken inside of them that they just can't. They can't feel a capacity of care for the other person. So Understand that there are three different types of narcissists in general, which are the covert narcissists, which I call the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's the one that I was actually a victim of two of them, not husbands, but people in my life. And so I have a... uh, my own serious disdain for covert narcissists. But these are the people that look really nice. They, They appear to be wonderful, kind, good people. Uh, oftentimes they're psychologists or lawyers or doctors or clergy or people who have a lot of respect in the community. So that's covert narcissist. The second type of narcissist is your grandiose or overt narcissist is sometimes what they're called. And that's more of what I call the garden variety narcissist. The one that you normally think of when you think of narcissists, that's the kind that goes around telling everybody how great they are all the time. And the funny thing for me is that when I discovered that 
the two people that I was dealing with were covert narcissists. When it was brought up to me that that's what they were, I thought, oh, no, I, I don't think they're narcissists. They think they might be insecure. But that's because they're covert. The overt or grandiose narcissist goes around telling everybody how great they are. They're very boastful, braggadocious. They um, they really stand out as narcissists. And people will often say, oh, they're narcissists, which to me, those people are actually less insidious than the coverts because you can see them coming a mile away. Um, the third type of narcissist is what we call the malignant narcissist. And this is a type that... Uh, can tend to be pretty dangerous and really pretty evil. Uh, this is the kind that might tend to engage in stalking or um, or violence or threats of violence or something like that, or, or they have no problem you know, calling the police and falsely accusing people of horrible things like child molestation when they know for sure that that's a complete lie. You know, that's just so evil and, and awful. And that's a malignant narcissist. And you can have different types of narcissists that are in combination as well. Like you can have a malignant covert narcissist, that sort of thing. So those are the three types. So now let's talk about the seven deadly sins. So the first deadly sin is shamelessness. Narcissists are openly and proudly shameless, especially the grandiose and the malignant type. They're not bound by the emotional needs of others, so they're just shameless in the kinds of things that they go after. And actually, let me amend that and just say I've seen covert narcissists be shameless in the kinds of things that they think that they're entitled to as well, and that they'll go right after. They loathe criticism. They consider criticism to be toxic, and any hint, smell, whistle, tone of criticism, they will take very, very personally because it implies that they're not perfect and need to change. Number two is magical thinking. Narcissists want to project that they are perfect, and so they distort everything through that lens. And so part of this magical thinking piece is they project their faults and flaws through others. This is part of the whole gaslighting thing. So if you say, hey, you know, you drop the ball on that deadline to a coworker or an employee, then they're always going to have some excuse as to why it was somebody else's fault. Number three is arrogance. They are extremely arrogant and oftentimes they have to feel like they need to inflate their ego by deflating others. So this is where you will see them deflating, devaluing, degrading, cutting down others, because they need to feel like they are superior to everyone else. Number four is envy. Oh my goodness. Narcissists are so envious of, of everyone else and they're envious in every possible way. Life is just not fair for the narcissist. So if someone else has more money than they do, has a better position than they do, got something that they didn't, got attention that they didn't receive, even if it has nothing to do with them, absolutely nothing to do with them at all. And most of the time it doesn't. They are extremely jealous of other people. 
So this is where you'll find them, you know, maybe devaluing somebody else's contribution or not valuing it at all or poo-pooing it or saying that it really didn't matter or it didn't actually contribute to anything. They're contemptuous and minimize other people's accomplishments. And they're so jealous of them that they just constantly want to bring them down. Number five is entitlement. Narcissists hold an unreasonable expectation of special treatment. They think that they should get the best parking spaces or the best places in the restaurant or they shouldn't have to wait for anything. They think, you know, that everyone should see them as entitled and and special and and if you don't fall in line with that then you're going to be subject to their ire failure to comply with this entitlement piece is considered to be an attack because with a narcissist you're either for them or or you're against them you can't just be neutral you can't just walk away from each other like two normal people or just decide you don't want to work together anymore or you just you know don't want to be in a relationship anymore you can't just wish each other well and move forward no 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 can't can't work that way you're either for them or it's an attack on them and defiance of their will is something that inflames their narcissistic injury, which will trigger their narcissistic rage. Number six is exploitation. And what this means is that narcissists will use people for whatever they need to use them for. They exploit others. So the thing about narcissists that you have to remember is that you really have no value to a narcissist other than what you can bring to them. Narcissists need an endless amount of what we call supply. And supply can be negative or it could be positive. And what I mean by that, because really no, no supply is good in a sense, but what I mean by that is that narcissistic supply is anything that feeds their ego. So it could be you know, having the biggest house, the biggest job, the biggest bank account, the, the best... Um, friends, the most high in the highest places, the most recognition, you know, things like that. But narcissistic supply can also come in the form of treating people badly, degrading, debasing, you know, cutting people down, some of the other deadly sins that we just talked about. So once you decide you don't want to be in a relationship with a narcissist anymore, then you no longer have any value to them. And as I said before, you're either for them or you're against them because they're exploiting you, they're using you. So this can take many different forms, but exploiting others always involves using others without any regard for their feelings or interests. And number seven, drum roll please, number seven is no boundaries. Narcissists have no boundaries. That's part of being a narcissist. And the interesting thing, I always think about boundaries because I've had to deal with this with the covert narcissists that were in my life, is that you're supposed to respect their boundaries. They don't have to respect yours. That's how that goes. And so, you know, they'll show up at your work, they'll show up at your office, they'll break into your computer, they'll read your email, they'll read your mail, whatever they 
feel entitled to do, that's part of the entitlement as well. And this is where if you're talking about a malignant narcissist, you might see stalking. So there's one particular trait that everybody overlooks, but there are several traits that everybody knows about with narcissists. So I'm going to just go through the ones that everybody knows about, the ones that they think of when they think of narcissists. And then at the end, I'm going to let you know what the one is that everybody overlooks when they look at traits of narcissism. Number one, shamelessness. So narcissists tend to be openly shameless. Like they'll just go and do whatever they want. I mean, there's just certain things that narcissists do that I just am so surprised by. You know, I knew a narcissist one time who would just come into our law office and just come right behind the desk and come right into one of our offices and not even ask. And, you know, I find myself with narcissists sometimes thinking, wow, I would never do that. I mean, there's just certain things that I would never do that narcissists end up doing. So, but but they're just completely shameless in that way. So another trait of narcissism is entitlement. So they feel entitled to anything. They think that they should have the best seat in the house, the best restaurant, the best this, the best that. They should have the the, the best spot um, in you know, a show or something, if they're in a show, you know, whatever it is, they should be the best. They should have the best. And, you know, even if they're not um, entitled to it, even if it's not something that uh, they earned or something that they're even qualified for, they don't care about that. It's just like they should have it. So um, entitlement and also shamelessness, they're kind of like two little hands that fit together, but, um, you know, slightly different, but definitely they're shameless and they feel entitled. So the next one is magical thinking. This is where they just keep going. They don't even look at the path of destruction that they've created. They, they don't really care. They just imagine the world and look at the world and interact with the world in the way that they want to see it. So it it, it can really definitely be difficult when you're negotiating with a narcissist in that sense. And because, you know, you give an offer, they come back with a counter offer, you go back with an offer that incorporates some of the things that they've already, you know, agreed to. And now all of a sudden they say they never agreed to that or, and that sort of thing. It's, it's all this magical thinking. It's part of the gaslighting and it's just how they think. They just, um, live in their own form of reality. Another trait that they have is envy. They're often very jealous of people. They're very jealous of other people's accomplishments. They can't really congratulate people or be happy for people. They feel like life isn't fair. How come they got it? I should have it. Um, They don't really like when somebody else is getting attention that they feel like they should have. Um, They're just very, very jealous. Sometimes they're jealous of people that they don't even know. Like they'll be watching something on TV and think, oh, why does that person have that? And why does, you know, who, th- who do they think they are? You know, I mean, they're just jealous and, and envious in all different facets, including, of course, in their own personal relationships. It comes from this place of lack. They 
they are not abundance thinkers. They are scarcity thinkers. So, you know, if anybody has anything else, they don't think that, oh, I could do that too, or I could have that too, or how, how great for them. You know, that's their thing. That's something that's wonderful for them. It has nothing to do with me. They, don't, they definitely do not think that way. It's very much a jealous, envious, small-minded way of thinking. Okay, so the next one, and we're leading up to the one that most people overlook, is exploitation. They're users. They like to use people. They, every single person is looked upon as, what can I use? What can I get? You know, Why am I even going to be talking to you at all? They're always sizing people up to see if they are going to be a good form of supply for them. And if you want to know more about narcissistic supply, check out my video on narcissistic supply. But supply is anything that feeds their ego. And you definitely um, are going to be looked upon by a narcissist in terms of what can you do for them. It's never uh, reciprocated, by the way. It's like just to be in their space at all, you better be doing something for them. And if you want something out of them, then you better be ready to reciprocate like a hundred thousand fold. And even that's not good enough. Like you're supposed to do it all for them. And the next one that you normally hear about is lack of boundaries. And that is, you know, narcissists just do whatever they think they want. You know, they just go wherever they want. They look through people's stuff. They will open people's mail. They will go into people's closets. They will show up places that they're not supposed to show up. You know, they have no boundaries because they feel entitled. And, you know, it all kind of gels together into a toxic stew of of yuck. But that's one of the things that they also have is no boundaries. But the last one is the one that's most overlooked. And that is that narcissists have no sense of self. They feel very small inside. That's the not so secret secret. They feel inside like nothing. They have a very fragile sense of self. So all of those other traits, the ones that people see, the ones that people identify with the most, the ones that they use, that psychologists and psychiatrists use to determine if somebody's actually narcissistic, are actually all things that they layer on so that they can hide the fact that they have no sense of self themselves. And so they they make it look like the Wizard of Oz and they they build all this stuff around them to hide the fact that they are feeble, small, scared, and that you are actually the stronger one. And that's the thing that I really want you to understand when you're negotiating with them. You actually, the, the, the biggest scam in the world is that they have you thinking that you're the one who's weaker. They're actually the weaker ones. So I've had to deal with narcissists. I know how horrible it can be. And specifically, I actually have had to deal with a couple of covert narcissists. And that is something that you really see a lot of mirroring in, especially with the coverts. I mean, all narcissists, they don't have any sense of self. They don't have 
any sense of self inside. They don't have any sense of real value inside. They kind of pick up these traits of other people wherever they go. So they kind of are almost like chameleons. And that's why at the beginning, they really seem fabulous. They seem like your soulmate. They seem perfect. And that's because they have this ability to kind of become this carbon copy of you. You know, at the beginning, it seems great. And you think you've you've found this perfect person. But it and then it becomes kind of weird in some ways. And they do use this technique that is is very, very manipulative because they've been studying people. The way that they have this chameleon technique, the way they know how to manipulate people so well is because they know how to read people, they study people to become the perfect person, but it's this fake routine. It's this double life that they lead because, you know, inside they're empty, they have nothing going on. Outside is this shell of a person. And by the way, I do have a whole video on why narcissists lead double lives, which you can definitely check out. And so they have this technique that involves mimicking other people's body language, other people's mannerisms and words in order to create an emotional bond with someone. It's it's their technique of love bombing you in a way. It's their technique of gaining control over you it's it's a way for them to eventually manipulate you and continue to be able to manipulate you they use it over and over again because even if they start to feel like their control is slipping you know once they lose control over you a little bit you know you start to you're on to them you you catch them in a lie or something like that then they and they need to future fake you or they need to project or deflect or whatever it's always this constant game with them it's you would think that it would be kind of exhausting for them but they have to do whatever they need to do so then they go back to the love bombing or they go back to the future faking or whatever it's this constant thing and so they have to go back to doing these sorts of things and I you know I, I wrote this down that mirroring was this term that was actually coined by Sigmund Freud back in the day that he used it to describe a way in which people used to their own self-image as a model for how they believed that other people would see them. So for example, if someone felt like they were attractive. They would often, you know, try to be more attractive around other people by being that way too. So it was like they would mirror how other people were by being the same as the other person, the way the other person was. And and I have found that so much with the coverts in my life. You know, there was one particular covert that was in our family. My husband was like always annoyed because this particular person would like finish sentences. And oftentimes it wasn't even the way he would want to finish the sentence. And he he would find it really, really annoying. You can find out more about covert passive aggressive narcissists in my video on that topic if you'd like. The other 
covert narcissist in my life would oftentimes just copy everything that I would do and try to steal my ideas. I mean, a lot of times covert narcissists are sort of inherently lazy. So they would just sort of let you do all the work and try to take your ideas and pass it off as their own. So that happens sometimes too, but that's sort of something else that they do as well. But why they mirror you oftentimes is because they think that it's a way to sort of love bomb you. They think that it's a way to make them look more attractive to you so that they will eventually be able to manipulate you a way that they will eventually be able to control you. And interestingly enough, when I would tell people sometimes, you know, some of the coverts in my life would actually copy the way that I dressed, copy the way that I would talk, the way that I would look. And and if I would tell people about it, sometimes they would say, oh, isn't that flattering? You know, I mean, it was sort of stalking in a way, sort of a little bit weird. And I would find it not flattering. I would find it really strange. That is why narcissists tend to mirror you. And in negotiations, you may see this happening as well, because you know, they're going to continue to do whatever they were doing in the past in negotiations because, you know, they've got their arsenal of tools and that's what they're going to continue to rely on even in the negotiations. So some of the, the things that they were doing in the past, you may see them continuing to do in the negotiations too. Okay, so five traits of extremely toxic people. I've seen them myself. I've seen them punch walls. I've seen them do all kinds of crazy things. And I can spot them a mile away. And I want you to be able to spot them a mile away. So make sure you watch all the way till the end because I'm going to be giving you each one of them. And I'm going to save the best one till the end. All right. So number five trait of extremely toxic people is they never take responsibility for their actions. It's always project and deflect. Project and deflect, it's always someone else's fault, right? It's always someone else. It's never their fault. And boy, have I seen this. You know, they're so good at making it someone else's fault making sure that someone else gets to take the blame. And, you know, this is something you definitely see a lot with narcissists, especially when they get caught in lies. And I definitely have a video on that. What happens when you catch a narcissist in a lie, they project and deflect. It's someone else's fault and they never take responsibility for their actions. And part of the reason why you see narcissists never take responsibility for their actions is because they have that fragile inner sense of self, that fragile sense of inner child, inner self, which is like, if they take responsibility somehow for themselves, then it takes away from who they are. Then it takes away from, you know, somehow they fall apart. Somehow they don't survive. Somehow there's like that hollow inner self and they literally become unglued. They literally become triggered. That inner sense of self is so fragile that they have to push it off on other people. 
They don't feel whole. They don't feel complete. And so that's why they never take responsibility for their actions. That's the first trait of extremely toxic people. So if you have one of those people around you that just never takes responsibility, then run for the hills. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash negotiate. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Number four is people who are very critical, always making you wrong, always making you feel like you're small, always making you feel like you are to blame for their problems. It's always you. You are the problem. You're the one. You know, it's never their fault. It's never them. They don't have to ever take responsibility for anything that they do, you know, and and you're the one that triggers them. You're the one who has the problem. They're very critical, extremely judgmental of everything around them. They don't like anyone. If that's how they are, there's something very wrong. But they're, they're always making you feel small. You feel bad. And if you're around them and you are constantly feeling small and bad, then you know that they're probably extremely toxic. You, you want to be around people that when you walk away from them, you feel lighter, you feel better. They're fanning your flames. You feel like, oh, I just want to be around that person more because they make me feel really great every time I'm around them. All right, so that's number four. Number three is a person who is always making themselves out to be a victim. That's the, the, the third type of person who's extremely toxic. Have you ever been around this type of a person? They're just constantly a victim. They're constantly 
everything is woe is me, everything is bad. No matter how much it seems like their life is great, they're just always a victim. Covert narcissists are really, really great at that. And if you want to know more about covert narcissists, I definitely have a video about covert narcissists, about especially covert narcissism in relationships. And you should definitely check that out. All right. So that's number three. So that's number three. Number two, number two, this is where the person is just always talking bad about other people. You know, this is that one who's just like constantly talking bad about other people behind their backs. And you just know they're definitely talking bad about you too. I mean, if, if they're talking bad about other people to you, you know they're talking bad about you when they're with other people too. I mean, that's just how people are. And so... That's just a trait of an extremely toxic person. People who feel good about people don't do that. And I go back to the four agreements, which is never to take anything personally. This is a, a book which I highly recommend. It's one of my top reads. And it's four agreements that you make with yourself. One of the thing agreements is to never take anything personally because people treat other people the way they feel about themselves, good or bad. So if somebody treats other people badly, it's because they feel bad about themselves. Hurt people hurt people, right? So if somebody feels good about themselves, then they treat other people well. If somebody feels like crap about themselves and they treat other people poorly. And so people who talk badly about other people, it's just somebody who just feels toxic inside. So they're just are toxic person in general. And that's just not the type of person that you really want to spend your time with. There's an old saying that says, if you really want to know where you are in life, take a look around and see who the top five people are in your life. And that'll tell you where you are in life and you know what kinds of a quality of where you are in life. So you want to make sure that the top people in your life are super quality people. You know, I always say defend your light with your life and make sure that the people who are closest to you are people who you really want to defend your spirit and defend your light, right? So that's number two. And number one, the number one most toxic person in the world, people who lie, people who don't have integrity, right? Liars, 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 pants on fire. People who don't have integrity, you know, without integrity, nothing works. People who lie and you know, you know, those narcissists, they are pathological liars. They lie about everything. They lie about things they don't even need to lie about, which is the crazy thing to me. And that's where you end up getting your leverage, by the way. That's where you end up being able to create your patterns, create your strategy, all that good stuff for your cases, for your negotiation. 
Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. Because yep. as long as you were still in that narcissist world and they thought that maybe they, you were for yep. them in some way or they, you have some value uh-huh. to them, uh-huh. then, then they're sort of measured a little bit yep. more. Yep. But once mm-hmm. you no longer have value, you are now the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it is on. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. She was having car trouble and um, she took, uh, I believe she took her car to European Motors on, um, I believe, Trade Center Way. And uh, I went there. uh, I was hesitant about going there, but I... I, um, the good-hearted guy I was, I went there to basically pay for the, uh, whatever problem was going on with the car, not knowing that um, she was trying to set me up. And now we return to today's show. Okay, so let's talk about the five things that narcissists actually enjoy like they're so sick that normal people healthy people they don't enjoy in order to understand this you have to understand one thing normal healthy people are motivated by lots and lots of different things you know we can be motivated and incentivized by geez we have a love for our children or we want to help homeless people or we want to do a good job at our work, or we want to make money. There may be a variety of things that we want to do. We can be motivated and incentivized by a lot of different things in our lives at the same time. Narcissists are motivated by one thing and one thing only. They are motivated by narcissistic supply, and that's it. It's like if you if you think about a person who is drowning. At that time, they're only going to be motivated by one thing. They're going to be motivated by, I need air. I need to be able to breathe. I need to get out of this pool or whatever it is. And that's kind of how they feel in a sense. It's constant survival for them. And and so that's why in a way they can't think about anybody else but themselves. And that's why they kind of feel like they have to push other people down because it's like, oh, let me step on somebody else's head in order to get out of this pool so that I can survive. 
And you kind of have to think of it sort of like that in a way. Because somehow many, many years ago when they were children, they were traumatized or something happened to them that made them believe that in order for them to survive, other people can't. And so they need this narcissistic supply. They have no inner sense of value. So they've got to layer on anything externally that they can in order to try to grasp some sort of sense of value. So that's what's really going on with them. And there are some hierarchies of narcissistic supply. And that's how we do create that leverage. I mean, there is how they look, And then there's that, what I call the dark underbelly of narcissistic supply, which is devaluing people and making them squirm and all those sorts of things. So what narcissists do enjoy that other people don't necessarily enjoy is, you know, kind of like that hidden dark underbelly side, because that hierarchy, that higher side of narcissistic supply, one that's in view of the world, other people do, you know, probably enjoy, which is, you know, the adulation, looking good. Of course, everybody wants to look good. Everybody enjoys getting compliments Everybody enjoys nice things in life, you know, so that hierarchy at high side that the side that's exposed to the world is probably everybody probably enjoys those things. It's nice to have a nice home. It's nice to, you know, but they they need that stuff. They need it to breathe. It's, you know, supply is there. It's their food. It's their oxygen. It's their lifeblood. You know, for a normal, healthy person, they don't need that stuff to breathe. They don't need it. It's like, it's nice to have a nice compliment. It's nice to have, you know, those things, but I, I don't need it in order to survive. And that's, that's the difference. So things that they enjoy that normal people don't is number one, watching you squirm, you know, and that's, that's why the, the negotiations never end. Because they enjoy watching you squirm. They enjoy that process of watching you be intimidated. They like that. So that's number one. Number two is gaining that power over you, being better than you, seeing you be hurt. They like that. They like that pushing you down, watching the flying monkeys line up on your side and making you feel small. They like that because they feel small. So they want to try to make you feel small. They enjoy that. Oh, let me, let me, you know, create an an event and everybody's going to be invited and you're not. They like that. I mean, it's a horrible thing. Normal people would never want to do that, would never want to hurt somebody else. You know, when I was dealing with, narcissists in my life. I remember how many times out of my mouth did I say, oh my God, I would never do that. I would never even think of doing something like that. I remember saying that so many times, but narcissists do those kinds of things on a regular basis to hurt people. You know, one of the things that I found that narcissists also like to do is hurt you so that they can turn around and be your savior and kind of comfort you. That's also a really sick thing. Like, let me hurt you 
so that then I can like be there for you. That's a really, really weird thing. I've noticed that in some of the relationships that I've observed when I was representing people in their divorces, even physically sometimes, you know, where people would be abusive. And then like they actually got to be the one to comfort that person and then be needed by that person. That's a really, really sick cycle of of abuse right there. Very, very sick. And if you are in an abusive relationship, please, please, please reach out. Please go to the nearest shelter, call the domestic abuse hotline, please. That's number three. Number four is something else that they enjoy, which is wooing you and seeing you fall into their trap setting you up. You know, they love to see if, you know, if you're going to be like testing you to see if you're going to be a good victim. I have a whole video on that. How narcissists test you to see if you're going to be a good victim. You should definitely check out my video on that. How narcissists test you. I mean, they're so sick. So that's, that's the next one. And then the last one is you know once you've walked away and you've finally gotten away you've finally made it you finally like escaped they love to see if you've actually like escaped they love to see if they still have control over you they enjoy the fact that they can like boom like little dm into your little inbox over there and can they hook you Can they bait you back? Do they still have control over you? Can they get you to come back into into the the lair? Oh, by the way, heard our song. Did you see this? Or, oh, you look good. You know, whatever. To see if you're still going to be a form of supply for them. So they enjoy having control over you. They enjoy having power over you. They enjoy having you be a source of supply for them. That's the bottom line. That's something that narcissists enjoy that normal healthy people don't. They enjoy all of those things and it's it's super sick, but they're not mentally healthy people. And that's the bottom line. And so if you're negotiating with them, you can't think of them as mentally healthy people and you can't interact with them in that way. You have to come at them and come to the negotiation from a different perspective. Okay, so narcissists and their money. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, they talk about narcissists and fools and their money and how they're never soon parted. And narcissists and their money, my God, you cannot pry narcissists away from their money. Like, it's insanity and in their money, especially when it comes to fighting. When the relationship breaks down, whether it's a business relationship, a divorce, or whatever, I mean, talk about prying it out of their cold, dead hands. They hoard their money like no one else hoarded and hide it. And why? Why are they like that? I mean, they are so cheap. Why are they like that? Well, I mean, there are so many reasons. For one thing, you have to understand the personality type. So let me explain the personality type. You have to picture somebody who is completely and totally empty inside. This is a person who is basically starving, gasping for breath, desperate for air. 
This is a person who's basically like starving and in survival mode all the time. You have to picture a person who has like a black hole inside of them and they want you to fill it and you might want to fill it too, but they can't receive. So you're left feeling depleted and yet they're still starving. And so you're feeling totally and completely empty and depleted, and yet they're still starving and and wanting more and more and more because there's this black hole because they can't receive, okay? So that's why they're, they're in survival mode all the time and it cannot be fixed. And so it's scarcity to the utmost extreme and that's how they feel, okay? And you can't fix it. You cannot fix it. They're like vultures needing an endless amount of this narcissistic supply. And they're always searching for more of it and always searching for a better source of it. So money just symbolizes a source of that supply. And and remember, they need grandiosity. They feel entitled. And so all of that you know, represents power. It represents a way of looking like they can be powerful. It also represents control. They can control people through money. So the more they have, the more control they have, the more power they have, and the more they can be powerful over people, the more people adulate them, which they certainly love that. They want more adulation. So the more they have, the more entitled they are, the more people are fawning at their feet. And so obviously that becomes very, very addictive to them, very alluring to them. They want that and they don't have any empathy for others. So they want more and more and more of this and they they step on whoever they have to, to get more and more of this. So they're chasing this as much as they possibly can on the way up, a lot of them. So this is one of the reasons that they hoard this and then they're gonna hide this. Now, what happens when the relationship breaks down? Well, you become public enemy number one, Of course, I mean, because you're either for them or against them. So when you become public enemy number one, they're going to want to destroy you. So now they're going to try to hide it. They're going to try to hoard it. They're going to use it against you. They're going to want to destroy you with it. And they're going to want to make sure that you don't get any of it. Of course, they don't want to give you any of that money that they earned. They feel entitled to it. They don't think that you should have one single dollar of it. Even if you help them get it, they think that they are entitled to it. I mean, that's just their personality. So that's how they are. And and they believe that it belongs to them. 
and that you shouldn't have any of it. You should feel guilty for taking anything from them and that you should, in fact, feel appreciative for what they earned and what they did for you. And you should be grateful for what they did for you. And that's part of it too. And and remember, a lot of narcissists also have a very addictive personality. The more they get, the more they want, the more they have. And so they're trying to hoard it as well. And then the other thing about money is that as they get older, they will lose their looks. It does help with them to have more money because they will have more power. And as they have more power, even though they don't have the looks, they have this power, they have this control, they have all of this money. And and so people will want to be with them because they have this money. Narcissists absolutely hate to be alone. And if they have lots and lots of money, people will still want to be with them. It helps with that as well, because they will not have as much with the looks. So people will still want to be around them and because they don't feel like people will ever want to be with them just for them. So they feel like they have to have some reason that somebody's going to want to be with them. So they feel like people will only want to be with them if they have money or power. And so they need money so that somebody's going to want to be with them for that when they get older or they need to have looks or something. So money will give them the ticket for people to want to be with them when they get older because they're going to lose their looks or something like that. So they feel like if they have lots and lots of money and control and power when they get older, that people will want to be with them. So those are some reasons that narcissists hoard their money. They just feel like it's a way for them to have whatever it is that they want in their life. It's their ticket to get people to do things, to get people to adulate them, to have control over people. So of course, it's their ticket for for control and power and everything that they want in life because they feel totally and completely empty inside. So it gives them that external sense of value. So that's why they hoard it. A number of different reasons. So, you know, those of you who have watched my videos know that I've talked ad nauseum and read my books. It's all about the different types of narcissism and how they manifest. It does seem like there's going to be some similarities and differences on the basis of the type of narcissist we're dealing with. Something I've always wanted to bring home to everyone is the type of narcissist someone is often has a lot to do with the kind of day they're having. And by that, I mean any narcissist who's having a good run of it. They're making a lot of money, they got the stuff they want, they're getting the people they want, they're more, most importantly, they're getting the validation and the supply they want, more often than not are gonna present as grandiose narcissists. Life's going their way. And so, but some people just tend to be more of the grandiose narcissistic type, and that's their baseline, okay? We know that in general, 
people who are narcissistic have empathy deficits, they're deeply entitled, the grandiose narcissists are obviously quite grandiose, they're arrogant, they have a propensity for rage, they do not regulate disappointment well, they're chronically seeking admiration, they're seeking validation, they are superficial, and they are... Um, and they are, um, they, they have not only difficulty regulating their emotions, but they're also incredibly sensitive in the face of criticism. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. The presentation of the grandiose narcissist then becomes someone who really is sort of like that person, that kind of, it can feel sleazy salesman-like, it can be like, I am the king of the world-like, it can be, I've got all the answers, it can be annoying guy on the bar stool, or annoying gal on the bar stool. All of that said, what are the leading tips you have with, especially in a divorce setting, of how to negotiate with a grandiose narcissist? Well, so the grandiose narcissist is going to do everything they can to keep control of the situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the first thing they're going to try to do is try to get rid of your lawyer mm -hmm. in some way, mm -hmm. because your lawyer mm -hmm. is the person who is now between the narcissist and the person who they want to control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and the lawyer now becomes the enemy mm -hmm. because that's the person who's going to actually maybe expose the narcissist mm -hmm. for what or who, mm -hmm. who, who or what they are, or maybe um, be between them and them getting the deal that they want mm -hmm. or that they think mm -hmm. that they should have. And so the, they're gonna try to get the person to meet at Starbucks. Let's just meet at Starbucks, you know, we don't need lawyers, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, so that's the, the, the the thing that they're going to do, okay, um, and and and, and they're going to say your lawyer um, is is just after the money. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard that you know he or she, whatever it is that they they can possibly dream up and say that's what they're going to say because they want you to get rid of the lawyer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is what that's I tell people all the time: is um, you have three choices. You can stay with this person mm -hmm. and stay married to them, which I don't recommend. But I've got, you know me, y'all can read my book and I got a whole bunch of videos <laughs> telling you how to stay if you need to stay, because some people have to stay. Well, I don't recommend in the long run. I right, mean, if you have right. to stay for kids or, or mm -hmm. you have reasons yeah. or whatever, but yeah. in the long run, you probably want to work this person out of your life. Mm -hmm. um, number two is to take exactly what they want you to take with your pat on the head and walk away. Mm -hmm. But we already talked about that. Even if you choose door number two, it's gonna be a shifting mm -hmm. thing. It's never gonna be exactly, because if they think that you're just taking what they're offering, then they're like, well, maybe I, I should mm -hmm. offer less or whatever. Because they just wanna mess around with you. And then door number three is, you know, you're gonna have to fight up against this person. Mm -hmm. So. You know, don't don't have those meetings alone because you know mm -hmm, that this person mm -hmm. manipulates you. You know mm -hmm. the person's a liar. You know that this person is going to say and do whatever they can to get what they want or to mm -hmm. or to manipulate you. So don't do it. Don't have those conversations. And what I recommend for people to do in those situations is just say, I don't know. I'm just talking to my lawyer. Blame it all on your lawyer. Let your lawyer be the fall person. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I just want what's fair. I just want you know what what my rights are, and I'm going to let the lawyer sort it out. Mm -hmm. That's what I suggest that people mm -hmm. do. So it's, I mean, I, in all of my work working with individuals who are experiencing narcissistic abuse or in narcissistic relationships, my consistent, you know, don't move away from a position is realistic expectations and radical acceptance. 
this person, you, you, to the point you're now getting a divorce, things have gotten so toxic. And I have to say, in narcissistic relationships, people let things get a lot more toxic than they would in another relationship where they simply grown apart from someone because you've, you've become so mentally confused. And with a grandiose narcissist, you're so used to being lorded over, you're so confused by the gaslighting. You know, people are, re- and the grandiose narcissist plays that game really, really well, and you're burned out. So that idea of a Starbucks meeting is like, okay, okay, fine, you're so exhausted. Mm-hmm. But then I say, realistic expectations, radical acceptance. This is a person who manipulates. It's who they are, it's what they do. It's just like a scorpion stings, a narcissist manipulates, and to have realistic expectations that all of a sudden, now that you filed for divorce, now they're gonna become an angel? It's not how it's gonna go down. Oh, in fact, you're, it's the opposite because mm-hmm. you no longer have value to yeah, that narcissist. Yeah, in yeah. fact, you're a liability. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. as long as you were still in that narcissist world and they thought that maybe they you were for yeah. them in some mm-hmm. way or they you have some value mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. then, then they're sort of measured a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. But once mm-hmm. you no longer have value, you are now the enemy mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it is on. And yeah. they, you know, in a, I think in a subsequent video, we're gonna talk more about mm-hmm. all the different mm-hmm. kinds of things that they do in a divorce setting. But, um, you know, it, it, it's you, once you no longer have value to a narcissist, you are the enemy. Yeah, and I also have to say too, though, with a, with a grandiose narcissist, what people do need to be prepared for psychologically is it's not over, like, they're not just gonna start fight. They're actually gonna try love bomb sequence two, love bomb sequence three, because in some ways, it's not that they want you back, they may. A lot of times, grandiose narcissists care deeply about what they look like to the world. Mm-hmm. They wanna look like the Christmas card. They wanna be the happy family. They have a whole narrative around, I just wanna be the happy family, this matters to me. Right. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's a whole shtick that they're selling to the world. Right. So they wanna keep that back, but it's also a game. It's can I lure the, the the rat out of its hole? Can I bring this person back out? It's what it was from the jump. That's so what I love know how bombing to call is. That bluff right away. Which is get them to sign a post up right now. Okay, you want me back? I'll come back. Mm-hmm. Sign a postnuptial agreement. Mm. That's great. Perfect. Yeah. Now we know how because, they're typically going to react. Know, of course, they're not going to say yes. No, they're not going to. So say now you, no, right. now you've called their bluff. That's right. And they play on that vulnerability, and they say, "Really, a postnup? So this really was just about money." And that's when the other person, the non-narcissistic person, who's already been so beaten down by this, who's already vulnerable to this, who already has issues around self-doubt, confusion, all the things that happen and narcissistic abuse says, no, this wasn't about money. And they find themselves getting into the thickets and can often get pulled in. They want to seem noble. No, this was never about money. This was about you treating me with respect. And Ben, I've seen many people at that point get sucked right back in with the grandiose you know what narcissist. what I say to that? What's wrong with it being about money? If you're entitled to it. <laughs> right. And there's the difference between the, the lawyer and the psychologist. If you're entitled you to know? it, if the yep. law provides yep. that you're entitled to yep. it, then right. don't be embarrassed about asking right. for what the law right. is providing for you. But here, I, I will, this is where I, I will take a slightly different stance as a psychologist. I think what a lot of people say is that, yes, it's about money. This is a marriage. Marriage is really a contract. Marriage really is a contract. Stop romanticizing it. It's a contract. But marriage is a contract that, um, that they are entitled to it. But I do think that people who have been in long-term relationships with grandiose narcissists, it is really about... Can you please reflect on what you just did to me for the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years? You know what? They'd say, I'd walk away from $10 million. I have have the best story for you with that. The best story. Um, 
So I was representing a guy who was number two in the largest development company mm -hmm. in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he was one of these narcissistic mm -hmm. personality types who came in and, you know, any room in your retainer and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, but, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to go on down the road, fine. But mm -hmm. he, so I didn't, but he was trying to get me mm -hmm. to reduce my retainer. <laughs> so we get to, um, mediation and it's like nine o'clock at night and we're we're all settled on everything and and he's agreed to pay her around two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in alimony mm -hmm. um, for the and he was like fifty five years old so just for easy math you know it's at least for the next ten years mm -hmm. um, because when you retire at sixty five you could potentially ask for um, mm -hmm. a, a modification mm -hmm. but. So we're talking about two and a half million dollars, mm -hmm. okay? Um, we're getting ready to sign. Mediator comes into my office and says, or, or to the conference room where I was with the, my client and says, I need to talk to you. I have a very unusual request, but I want to run it past you before I run it past your client. Mm -hmm. So she pull, he pulls me aside and says, the wife says that she will waive alimony, waive two and a half million dollars, if he apologizes to her for how he treated her during the marriage. And guess what? He didn't want to do it. And there it is. See? So I'm telling <laughs> all of you, there it is. You know? So, so yeah. I made him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yes, you will. Get over there. And so he went over there and apologized and... She waived alimony, and that was that. But it was that was worth more to her, right? And she knew also that he wouldn't want to do it, right? And so here's where it's again. As a psych, I'm going to put the psychologist hat on here, which is there is something unsatisfying about that. He didn't want to apologize. It wasn't a real apology. And one thing we do know in the world of narcissism is a narcissist's apology is it's it's worthless. It's less than worthless. It's the gum on your shoe mm -hmm. because it's manufactured. It's somebody saying just for two and a half million bucks, say sorry. That's not an apology. That's a you know. From that, my that's perspective a, as his attorney, I'm like right all day exactly, long. Exactly, exactly. As her attorney, I'd have been like, "You're not asking for that. No way." Right. And as her psychologist, I say, "You just bought yourself another ten years of healing, because you that wasn't an apology." I think that the struggle becomes, you know, and again, this is where it's interesting to have the lawyer talk to psychologists. Is that when the apology feels not authentic? The person says, you know, what was that? And I'll say it was nothing. It was, you know, it was window dressing. It's very difficult for a narcissistic individual to apologize because of the shame factor, because of the insecurity factor, because of the lack of capacity for them to exercise empathy, right? They, what he does, not, that client of yours, he doesn't believe he caused her pain. Right. He doesn't. He just wanted his money. Right. Okay. She was in pain, and the other person didn't acknowledge it. It's looking into the mirror that doesn't look back. And that's, that's there to wit is the conundrum where I might say, okay, if you, you know, I, I would tell somebody, get the money, then at least you can get the therapy. Because, exactly. you know, that's, I mean, yeah. from, from mm -hmm. yeah. hey, from my perspective as his lawyer, my job was to advocate right. for him. him. Right. So it wasn't my job to say no right. to that. Right. It was my right. job mm -hmm. to say, get your butt in there and apologize. Right, right. Yes. I mean, you know, because yeah. that's the kind of thing right. that he would have come back to me on later and said, why didn't you make me? That's right. And my, you know? and exactly, and blame you. But my, right. and my job is to tell that woman, you didn't get a real apology. What can we learn from I, this uh, relationship? I'm sure she probably regretted it. Maybe, who knows what her financial situation right. was, you know? Maybe, who knows what her, I don't know her mindset is, but at the end of the day, I would have said, you know, 
how do we help you learn from this so you never pick someone like this again? Mm-hmm. You know, that's really what it is. Because How do we do learn from this? They do, people, people do yeah. pick. So, you know, just as a twist here, because we do talk about, while the grandiose narcissist is the most common, the one we see the most, there are these other subtypes, what we often call the covert or vulnerable narcissist. This is what I often view as the more victimized narcissist. Mm-hmm. When you meet them, they're often a little bit more sad, they're softer, they're not as in your face. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of people want to rescue covert narcissists. They're like, ah, oh, if this person just got a break, they'd be fine. What they mm-hmm. don't realize is right under the surface is this tremendous amount of contempt. Yes. Contempt for other people. Contempt that other people have it easier. Contempt that jealousy. life didn't go on. Jealousy and envy and yes. all of these kinds of emotions. And the insecurity mm-hmm. in the covert slash vulnerable narcissist yep. is much greater. Yes. Would you say then, are there any other unique elements of negotiation then that come up with covert narcissists? Well, so they're not going to be as in your face and it's not going to be as ob- obvious to mm-hmm. the divorce lawyers or to mm-hmm. the judge. Mm-hmm. So the judge might say, oh, this poor person mm-hmm. and, and fool everybody. Mm-hmm. And especially because narciss- the, the covert narcissist tends to be more passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so it's easier to explain away the things that they will mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they might, you know, inadvertently send a, uh, an email to somebody, oh, oops, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know that it wasn't an accident mm-hmm. because you've been living with this person for years. So right. they're much more... Um, uh, adept at hiding mm-hmm. the kinds of things that they're doing. So in my opinion, they're actually more toxic mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Can be, yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's it's going to be harder to get the system mm-hmm. and the people in the system to understand the personality mm-hmm. type that you're dealing mm-hmm. with. Um, it, you know, if you're having a uh, parental evaluation or a custody evaluation mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. you know, they may fool that psychologist. Absolutely, absolutely. Because they're yes, going to say, oh, I'm times. such yeah. a victim. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know this other person was so horrible to me, and I can mm-hmm. never catch a break. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know I want to work, yeah, but I'm yeah. so sick all the time, and I mm-hmm. always feel terrible. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so they're they're actually much more difficult in the divorce setting, and they'll still do the same kinds of things. Mm-hmm. This it, triangulation is a biggie with with covert narcissists. Let's get the whole world on mm-hmm. my side. Let's mm-hmm. get everybody Absolutely. to see how Absolutely. much of a victim I am, and how horrible. This mm-hmm. other person yeah. is, and they're actually very good at getting the person. Yes, they are. Um, get, getting people to believe them, and leaving the person who has been victimized by them looking like a bad guy. Right. You know, this person actually has been enduring so much when you've been in a relationship with a covert narcissist, and everyone's like, "Why are you being so hard on him or her?" You know, what? Well, come on, like cut. And there's a lot of gaslighting by other people that happens in these relationships, where right. especially when it's careening towards a divorce. Yes. So it's yeah, it's definitely a. a, a a very, very toxic dynamic. So when they, when a person is in a divorce or in any form of negotiation with a covert narcissist, then what? Well, it's the same, it's the kind, same of thing kind of thing. That you're going to have the same sort of thing. I mean, they're going to probably obstruct you. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're not going to give over information. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to put up roadblocks at mm-hmm. every chance that they can. They're going to manipulate everything that you say, but they're just going to do it in a way that's more. Um, that's more under the radar and harder right, right. for you to bring to people's attention because when you bring what they're doing to people's attention, it's the kind of thing where people go, well, that's not that bad. 
had. Mm-hmm. Or, or mm-hmm. that was That's probably right. just right. a mistake. Yes, exactly. Um, Gaslighting. Yes, exactly. So, you know, whereas an overt narcissist or, or the grandiose narcissist, you can see it. it. It's much more manipulative. You can actually see mm-hmm. it right in the email chain. It's 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 easier to follow the email chain and go. Well, okay, here you go. Would you argue maybe it's a different form of manipulation? Because I think passive aggressiveness is at its core manipulation, right? Hundred percent. It's the it's the attempt of maybe it's not even an active attempt, but it is the induction of negative emotion in another person, typically guilt, to mobilize action on their part, not because the other person wants to do something, but they're doing it to stave off the sense of guilt. Uh, and it's, ab- it's absolutely just as traumatic for the victim. Yes. Yeah, manipulation's manipulation. Uh, I mean, I don't yeah. care if it's in your face. I don't care if it's through a passive-aggressive back door. It definitely leaves people sort of reeling. So this takes us then to one last form of narcissism I want to get to, because I think it's worth mentioning because it's more dangerous, which is malignant narcissism. Mm-hmm. There are research out- researchers out there that view malignant narcissism as sort of like that that's space in the middle where where more of a grandiose narcissistic style meets like a low-grade psychopathy, meets this sort of really Machiavellian, manipulative, political, like, you know, very skilled, working other people style. Mm -hmm. Malignant narcissists are where we're going to see your CEO types. We're going to see your world leader types. We're going to see people at the top who are able to charm you, Mm -hmm. then go chew someone else out, Mm -hmm. then go destroy someone else's life, and then go charm someone else. Like, they're, they're their ability to just sort of do that leaves everyone confused and they've usually charmed the right people including people like judges they're that good whereas right. the covert narcissist ain't charming anyone you know even the grandiose narcissist gets a little bit nervous during a divorce a malignant narcissist is very cool under stress yeah it's harder to get them unglued yes it is it is and they're and they they can be dangerous i mean we've been talking about you know negotiating a divorce thus far from a perspective of you know, not in from a violence perspective. Now, remember, abuse in a relationship can take many forms. The majority of clients I work with are dealing with severe psychological abuse, which to me is every bit, perhaps even more traumatic than physical abuse. And oh, it also 100%. includes things like stalking, coercive control, well, financial no abuse. No boundaries. Yeah, so those, all that thing, the financial, the right. control, all of it, it is, it, it is like a, it's a disease that overtakes the person and they realize they're literally living in a prison when they're in a relationship with a malignant mm-hmm. narcissist. It can escalate to, to danger. And in the cases I've consulted on where a person's divorcing a malignant narcissist, we have to come up with a safety plan. And that's where I've worked with people of expertise in domestic violence mm-hmm. on having a go bag and how do you set that up and how do you... I mean, we're, we're teaching people to clear out the search histories on computers and stuff. I mean, in the electronic age, in yeah, some and ways, also save it's the hard. things yeah. that they need to save. Save what you need to save. Clear out what you don't want to do. Go to libraries. Change use other computers. Change your passwords. Right. Yep. I mean, this is this is a different territory. Is mm-hmm. there any other thoughts when you're negotiating with someone who, if not full-on dangerous, like going to really do physical harm to you, is always menacing? They send that that menacing email. There's something almost stalky about them. It doesn't mm-hmm. relent. Emails at three in the morning. I mean, these are the clients I work with who are the most wrecked. I mean, it's yeah. it is they they are in a post-traumatic stress state 
almost all of the time. Yeah, yeah, I, and they have no boundaries. So, I mean, it, it, they'll just show up at your house, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll do whatever they need mm -hmm. to do, whatever they, they want to do. So, first of all, let me just say, and I tell my clients this all the time, if you feel that you are in danger, mm -hmm. please call the police. You know, don't call your lawyer. Your mm -hmm. lawyer can't do anything right away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times I hear people saying, how is he or she getting away with this? Mm -hmm. And it's I a, it all a very common thing. And so let me just inject reality into mm -hmm. that statement mm -hmm. really briefly. And that is that there are no divorce fairies that <laughs> linger around people's houses mm -hmm. and come jumping out of the wall when somebody misbehaves. Exactly right. So how are they getting away with this? Remember, the only person that has any power over anyone else in our society is the judge. That is it. There is law enforcement if you break the law. If you, are, if you do something problem. criminal, you yeah. can call the police. Other than that, it's the judge. Those are the only mm -hmm. avenues mm -hmm. of getting someone to behave. Mm -hmm. That's it. So when you're dealing with somebody who is menacing and maybe unsafe or stalking, then you have to call the police. Because most states, in order to get uh, any kind of an, an injunction. So mm -hmm. if you want to get some kind of injunction against the person, or I guess in, in, you know, in regular word terms, it's a restraining order mm -hmm. or something like that, you have to be able to show that you're in danger. You have right. to be able to show, you can't just say, I'm scared of this person because this person has civil yeah. rights, they have constitutional rights, you have, they have to have notice and opportunity to be heard and all of that sort of thing. And so... Call the police if you think that you're in danger. It will only help you get that restraining order down the road if you decide that that's what you want. The worst possible thing that you can do is go try to get a restraining order and then it doesn't stick because now the person feels empowered. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really, really careful about making sure that if you're going to go that route, that it's going to stick and you're going to get it. But also, let's um, warn people that once you get a restraining order, the likelihood of violence skyrockets. Well, because they're now they're, you, it, you know, Yes, but that's the reality check. I don't want people to think restraining orders are an answer. I think they're a step, but they're a step that put people in danger. And that's the nature of how our, our, our system works. So we, I mean, I don't, I think to, to say that, that, right. I mean, the number of people but, I listen to. I have I a lot of people ask yeah. about yeah. that. So the only other path is some kind of a civil order, mm -hmm. um, which would be, you know, exclusive occupancy of your house mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and, you know, those things you can get, but they take time. Yes, they do. So you have to, you know, the, what the lawyer's power is, is to file a motion, set the motion for mm -hmm. hearing in front of the judge. Then, you know, and the, the, all the judges are very backed up. The judicial mm -hmm. system is extremely backlogged. And so it takes a while to get a hearing. Yes, it does. Um, and then once you get that hearing, newsflash, the judges don't always rule right away, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. really frustrating, too. And mm -hmm. so sometimes you're waiting weeks, months, I've even waited months for an order mm -hmm. from that judge. Mm -hmm. So how is he or she getting away with this? Mm -hmm. Well, the only way you can rein in the behavior is by creating enough leverage in order to get that person to come to a table and potentially have a resolution with you or get enough leverage that you can mm -hmm. get convince the judge to order 
things to go your way. Right, which is hard. And again, in the populations I deal with, I, I deal with the people who are things didn't go their way. And too many women who are beaten up or killed because the restraining order came that inflamed the violence can't, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice idea and law enforcement has more leverage. So it really opens up this whole issue of these are complicated issues. And, you know, in the bottom line, and I think one of the most painful things I've heard is the number of clients who've worked with me who said, this person is a bad person. They should not be raising these kids. Like, you know, and again, it's usually not even the money piece. Like they've, they've and, and they'll still be upset. Like, I don't know how you expect me to do all this with this little bit of money, but I, 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 how how can you let this person half the time raise children? And I'm telling you, as somebody who's worked with these families, I have seen the majority of narcissists I've worked with got 50% custody. Yeah, because 50% custody. Yeah. And let me tell you this: there's no happy ending to this. Children are destroyed. Well, here's what happens a lot of times in the negotiation for mm -hmm. that, and especially in states where child support is tied to timesharing. Yes. Which a lot of states it is. Mm -hmm. Some states it's not, but most states, most states it, yeah. it is. Yeah. And so what they do, especially if they're the moneyed spouse, is they, they go for timesharing because then they pay less in child yes. support. That's right. And, and a lot of times though, they end up not taking it, which means that the non-money spouse isn't getting the full amount of support. Mm -hmm. And still and with the kids. they have the kids yes, all the time. Right. Which you again, know? I understand what you're saying, that this is a right of the child. But I always advise clients, I say, anytime they try to blow you off and blow off the kids, like they got the kids 50% of the time, so they didn't have to give you the money. That's why they fought for it. They didn't want the kids. They wanted the money, mm -hmm. okay? But now, it is also, though, the, the facade of mm, I got my kids 50% of the time. Ish. Because they don't, they don't want to tell the world that they didn't want their kids. Right. They don't want to tell the world, but they don't want their kids. No, no, no. But they, <laughs> but they want the show <laughs> right. that they got 50%. Right. So after the show is proven and they can walk around saying they want 50%, they're always trying to foist the kids on mm -hmm. the other partner, 100%. to which I tell the other partner, who's usually the one I'm working with, take them. They're like, but this is unjust. I'm like, this whole thing is unjust. Didn't you say you want to be with your kids 100% of the time? Anytime they give them, take them. Because the less time those kids are spending with the narcissistic parent, probably the healthier for your kids. Now, what does end up happening is that they're not often getting the requisite additional money that that more time would take. They figure it out. But I'd say if you can get the time with your kids, get the time with your kids. Okay, so a little strategy here mm -hmm. as far as um, during a divorce. If the divorce is taking a several months, which mm -hmm, a lot of mm -hmm. them do, yeah. then give the narcissist 50% of the time during the temporary period. Mm. Because you will give them rope to hang themselves mm. that way. Because then by the time you get to that final hearing or you get to the mediation, you've now kept a log, which I tell everybody, yes. keep a log. Oh, so do I. Yes, yeah. Yes, so yes, you've yes. now kept a log yeah, that yeah. shows that this person showed up late, didn't take them, asked you to take them, blah, 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 because they can't help being themselves. Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to take the kids 50% of the time, even during that mm -hmm, nine month mm -hmm. or one year period. Mm -hmm. You will have lots and lots of times that they asked to change the schedule. Oh, they showed the up late, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so now you have that leverage. Mm -hmm. Now you yeah. have the information that you need in order to push for the custody arrangement that you want. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's it's a great point. I mean, again, we probably 
talk for 17 hours on this because we've seen it from both sides of it. And I, yeah. it, it is interesting, like, you know, to watch that. That I, I say exactly that is you have to keep the most detailed log. I said it's almost like you're keeping records and charts the way a physician would, like, yep. you know, days, hours, you I've name won it. entire cases you know. on those. Yeah, yes, I'm sure. That's good. And it, I hope you heard that. She's won entire cases on those. You can't do this after the fact. You have to do, do this in real time. You're not going to be able to even construct it a week later. In real time, it has to become a daily practice that you're logging this stuff. It's difficult. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. You must do it. It's part of your healing, but it's also part of your strategy. Just, so, just open a notes thing in your yeah, calendar yeah, or your phone, your phone. or, or, or yeah. use an app. There are yeah. apps yes, just there for are. taking notes mm-hmm. uh, for that. Yeah. I mean, so just get into the habit yeah. of logging yeah. it real time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.